Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, comrades and compañeros, welcome to another episode of The Fifth Column. You just got one in your, your inbox and you're going to get another one. You know why? I, should, do I introduce, should I introduce you, Matt? Do, does anyone care? But, like, they know you're no. here. Yeah. And they know and, that when I'm doing Camille's this, Camille's not. not yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. He's really exactly. busy from what I understand. He has like, a conference. You um, know what? Actually, it's not space. even a conference. I think what happens is that when you um, volunteer to join the boards of like five or six or 45 different organizations, and yeah. none of those organizations are the Fifth Column Podcast, yeah. you get a lot of meetings. Yeah, a, lot of well, a lot of meetings that you have to go to that are not fifth column meetings. Yeah, I think he has a board meeting for Pizzeria Uno tonight, which I thought, I didn't even know they were still in business, but congratulations to them for getting Camille. But he's not here. Um, but we don't need him. And that doesn't that's mean we do need him. But we, yes. when we have a crisis in America, like mm-hmm. we have now, a crisis, you don't even go to the store, people, because there is no house leader. There's no leadership in the house at all. There's looting in my neighborhood. Um, I think I don't know if that's related, but, but it's just there's ro- lootings, murders, etc. And that's because uh, Kevin McCarthy, yes, that Kevin McCarthy, mm-hmm. was unseated uh, yesterday. So what do we do? What do we do in a situation like this? Well, Matt sends me a text, and he says, you know, I'm having a conversation with uh, Congressman Peter Meyer, former Congressman Peter Meyer, but you know, this, we a lot of good stuff to horrific. come. We'll talk about that. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, and so we got him on the show and he's right here live from Grand Rapids. He's not one of those people like uh, our, the new senator from California who says they live in Grand Rapids <laughs> and actually lives in Maryland. No, he lives in Grand Rapids. Peter Meyer, welcome again. One of our favorite guests. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. I'm, I'm proud to be here on my annual pilgrimage to uh, the fifth column because I think the last time was shortly after I was deposed. So I can speak a little bit about it being ejected from uh, Republican standing. Yes, you can. And and last time you said, no, no, everything's great. We love everybody. Kevin is great. Lauren. I, I, you said LB, I think you called <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> She's the best. And now we have you. And all that baggage, you can now talk about what what has happened. But why don't we talk about what is happening uh, in D.C.? What a wild shit show in D.C. How many how many texts did you get over the last thirty six hours from your ex colleagues, or they all just hate you? Uh, <laughs> False binary. Okay, no, no, no. Yeah, a little from column A. A little. No, no. I mean, I'm actually friendly with a number of the principles in this saga, uh, which oh. makes it a little bit hard because I try to see the best in people. You know, we live in divisive times. You know, I want to I want to look at, at what Matt Gates brings to the table, which is a lot, you know, with the benefits of uh, Speaker McCarthy's speakership, which – man, but I mean like, – <laughs> yeah, No, no, no. You're not but, in Congress anymore. Stop it. They're no, all assholes. Is, you don't like any of them. <laughs> He likes Gates. Gates is. Did you hook up with Lauren Bobert? No, I'm joking. Um, you have a baby now, so congratulations. Beautiful. Never thank suggest. You. Thank you. Five old. Yes. Thank you. Chubby ginger. Little thank you. yeah, yep. chubby yep. ginger. Uh, that's what we've called him at the fifth column, chubby ginger. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, but yeah, so you like a lot of these uh, people, but you have a read on this. Uh, what do you yeah. make of it when you see that every kind of 
media outlet is saying this is just a com- complete nightmare. I mean, do you have a, a sort of more positive spin, spin as somebody who likes no. to see the positive? No, no of course no, you don't. No, 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 no. I mean, like, th- if Kevin McCarthy couldn't do it, right? And, and there's a lot of criticisms you can level at him. The guy couldn't manage. Yes. He could figure out how to, you know, basically maintain the loyalty and friendship of Brian Fitzpatrick, who is the Republican lead on the Problem Solvers Caucus, which may not exist anymore, uh, and win over Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jim Jordan to his side. Right. So, like, that, that is some deft maneuvering in terms of trying to herd a bunch of cats. Who's going to do that? Yeah. Right. Like, like, that is, I think what is going to be very fun to watch and why I'm very glad you brought me on to talk about my pitch for Donald Trump as Speaker of the House. Yes. And I want to be heard out. Matt, please don't laugh. He, he was asked can, about it today as he came out of court. He was well, asked about asking, it. He was like, great idea. I, we can get into that. But in the short term, I mean, you, you got a couple of different people kind of rising up. You got Steve Scalise, also yeah. fine gentleman um, from Louisiana. You have – Jim Jordan. Uh, Jim Jordan, obviously. Right. Who threw his hat in today, said he would Th- he would go for speaker. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like McCarthy's people are kind of whipping for Jim Jordan. But you know, and again, I've I've nothing against Jim Jordan, but he is much more associated with the firebrand component. And so that makes a lot of the, you know, ten or so Republican members of Congress who are in districts that Biden won, in some cases, but that Biden won by double digits in twenty twenty, like the folks in New York. Thank you so much. New York Democrats for just being god-awfully greedy on their redistricting map. And generally psychotic on every issue, too. But but that's just a a side note. And also to point out that Jim Jordan uh, did not vote to bounce uh, Speaker McCarthy. Mm -hmm. Correct. So – no, Jordan got everything he wanted. And that was the thing is that McCarthy could manage those factions pretty well. At the same time, a lot of the criticisms that Gates was leveling – he had a point. Yeah. And I mean, I was talking to a reporter the other day, actually praising Matt Gates uh, for if you watch him in interviews, I mean, the guy is substantive. He knows his stuff front to back. You know, you can disagree on the content of what he's debating. You can question, you know, how disingenuous or sincere he is in his arguments. But the guy can argue. The guy is probably one of the best orators in Congress or in Matt political – Matt Gates, oh yeah. Matt Gates, who um, I, I don't want to smoke out any personal acquaintance of mine who might have been on Matt Gates' debate team in high school in Florida. Oh, wow. oh. but wow. uh said person said, yeah, Gates absolutely destroyed in all debate for uh in Florida. You could just sort of tell right away that he I mean, of course he grew at up least in a family. Do that His father thing. was was a was a mm-hmm. big mocker in the Florida State Senate too. So it's I mean not surprising. I mean the him on the House floor talking about, you know, uh you know, Bidenomics, you know, inflation has gotten so bad you can't even bribe senators and cash, you have to use gold because it's the only thing that keeps its value. Like, mm-hmm. come on. That was a good that's line. That's pretty good. That was it's a good line. Good. You know, so I think you have but the criticisms he was leveling, you know. The fact that, okay, when you point to accomplishments, yes, for being able to get things across the finish line in a very jumbled and chaotic conference, McCarthy could do that, but that's kind of where it ended, right? I mean, all this talk about defunding the 70,000 or whatever IRS agents, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you passed a bill that said that, that went nowhere in the Senate and wouldn't get picked up by the White House. On the flip side, could he have actually passed something that would have gotten 
passed through the House that also would have gotten picked up by the Senate and signed into law. What do you have to do in order to get that? Is that even within the realm of possibility, right? So you're seeing both the disingenuous slash unreasonable expectations that have really been cultivated amongst the Republican primary electorate and amongst you know right-wing media in terms of what is possible, butting up the, against the cold, hard realities and the immovable object that is partisan polarization where not a single House Democrat – and they didn't have to vote for him. No, they could have voted president. Right? If they would have just voted president or not shown up for that vote, yeah. right? And that – and according to McCarthy, Pelosi promised that if he was ever in that situation, she would bail him out. And then so he kicked not- her out of her office. <laughs> well, no. I, <laughs> Which is, I, by I, the way, you lost the speakership that you've wanted your entire life, that you went through 15 votes in January to get in, – into in, in to maintain your speakership – and you get kicked out, and the only recourse you have is like move her down the hall. I'm taking her office. Well, they're little hideaways, right? They're they're these tiny. They're not even. I mean, yes, it's an office, but it, you know, Tom Cole's place is where you go to smoke cigars, right? I mean, yeah. every you, it is a a perk of being in leadership. Um, and as speaker, acting speaker pro tem, uh, McHenry said, "Well, that was reserved for the most recent speaker." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pelosi's not the most recent speaker. That's so, so Peter, you're you're surprisingly pro Matt Gates. I saw a few tweets, so it didn't surprise me too much. But I want to play you something and I want to get your reaction to this because this is somebody who's gone through something similar, but probably about 30 years ago now, Newt Gingrich. And mm-hmm. this is uh Newt Gingrich, I think, on Fox News today. Let me play this for you. Ninety-six percent of the Republicans voted for McCarthy, four percent voted against him. From my position as a longtime Republican activist, they're traitors. All eight of them should, in fact, be primaried. They should all be driven out of public life. What they did was to go to the other team to cause total chaos. We ought to be focusing on Biden. We ought to be focusing on the economy. We ought to be focusing on the border. Instead, you're going to get a week or 10 days of the media focusing on Republican disarray. It's an astonishingly destructive behavior by a handful of egocentric people who think they're superior to 96% of the conference. What do you make of that? I'm surprised he wasn't in a hot dog suit saying, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. I mean, that's the thing that's kind of beautiful about it, right? Like all these guys thought that they could channel this anger. They could rile up this crowd. You know, they could kick this hornet's nest and, and, and frankly lie to their constituents and to the Republican primary electorate, again, to, to the entire right-wing news ecosystem, that they could lie to them on what could be achieved and or how you could actually achieve it and think it wouldn't come back to bite them in the ass at some point, right? Like that's what to me is, you know, I, I sincerely do feel bad for Kevin McCarthy, right? I think he was doing the best he could to manage what he was going through and what he you know, had sought out to do. At the same time, I don't weep for the folks who created this exact scenario but thought that they could survive it and that it would come to bite somebody else in the ass. Would that eight have been nine if you were if you were still in Congress? No, no. I mean, I because again, what what is the alternative? Right? I mean, the alternative in the short term is going to be chaos up and until former President Donald Trump rises to the occasion, <laughs> bails out House Republicans. And I, no, I'm serious. I can make this argument to the most vehement anti-Trumper. You know, I don't think I have Which to sell it to the most vehement pro-Trumper. might be. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I call balls and strikes, gentlemen. I call okay. balls and strikes. Yeah. He but, called uh, you an asshole, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah, close enough. And then he, you got primary. He insulted. I don't think that asshole. <laughs> he I probably deserved it. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No. No. He he mocked my last name and the spelling. M e i. Yeah. Who the hell knows? And yeah. I didn't know he did Racist, that. By the way, against Dutch people, of course. Yeah. Uh, the and gingers. Who I'm trying to figure out how we're how we're victims in the equation. I mean, um, oh man, yeah, no, not, I'm not touching that. But uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a so the uh, principal Matt Gates and uh, it's a Matt Rosendale uh, objection mm-hmm. yeah. and some other guys, even Andy Biggs when he's wearing his not absolutely crazy wackaloon hat, which is about thirty percent of the time. Um, the, the what they objected to McCarthy is that hey look as a condition of his speakership when we went through the fifteen votes he said we're going to put these two guys in the committee um, to to generate appropriations bills and we're going to have them those appropriation bills right you passed twelve things according to the congressional whatever the hell act from nineteen seventy four the budget, budget act. empowerment yep um, and uh, and you have this regular order you do the stuff like you legislate which never happens anymore because it's basically we're governed by continuing resolution all the time, last minute cromnibus. Um, and they got what, four out of 12 bills uh, and not the 12. So is that is there some impediment that I am not seeing or understanding that can explain away or sort of justify McCarthy not getting more than four of those bills off the ground? And even those four were pretty belated. Yeah, I think – and again, I, I wasn't there for all the timing and the nuances. The other eight were held up in the House Rules Committee because he also made a commitment, you know, in addition to, you know, granting some, you know, kind of more Freedom Caucus leaning members spots on the Rules Committee, which determines what bills actually make it to the floor. Those bills weren't able – his sorry, his commitment was that they wouldn't bring something up and pass it out of rules unless it had unanimous Republican support of those Rules Committee members. Right. And and again, so this is where could there have been more work done to get unanimous support on some of those bills or would they have just flailed in the Senate anyways? And even if they had passed all of those appropriation bills, they were so far out of line with what could be expected to pass in a Democratic controlled Senate. And yeah. even if it passed there, that could get signed into law by a Democratic president that there would really be no hope, which is why you need somebody like you know a, a master deal maker to really insert himself into that equation, use a bully pulpit that really no other speaker, you know, has had, because I think Donald Trump could get it done. <laughs> I think you might All right. <laughs> Let's make the case. Yeah. Donald Trump, I know uh, you're personally fond of him. He, he doesn't have any attention to detail for any of this work. Come on. Oh but, no! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. No, but this is the, the thing. Steamroller, Matt, is what you need. <laughs> okay, one of the funniest moments, and I wasn't even in Congress yet, but before we were sworn in, this is late December of 2020. You know, um, Trump's final budget. They were trying to get it over the finish line, avert a shutdown, kind of going in, and Steve Mnuchin. God bless his soul, was on a House Republicans conference call, you know, begging folks to support the budget that Trump had proposed and he had put forward. And the Freedom Caucus members raised all of these concerns. There's too much money for extraneous foreign aid programs, you know, that's a a, a gender studies, you know, grant in Pakistan. What the hell are we doing with this? You know, they, they went through line by line and had a lot of issues. 
And Mnuchin said, listen, it's really important to President Trump that you guys support this, right? This is kind of his legacy. There's a lot of important projects in here. Please, you know, for us, do this. They held it back. They said, fine, voted in support of it. Right-wing media gets a hold of it, starts tearing it to shreds. What the fuck are they doing with these grants to gender studies programs in Pakistan? And then Trump just rips it to shreds and is like, why did Republicans support this thing? (laughs) But you can do that when you're president, right? I mean, you can have a little bit of remove. Like the failures, you can can pawn all that off on the legislative branch and, and all those rhino House Republicans who are caving to the Democrats, even if they're doing what you ask them to do behind the scenes. If he's speaker, he can't really do that, right? Plus, the downside, if nothing gets done, okay, you know, you can avert a government shutdown because 10 Republicans have just signed on to a discharge petition for the continuing resolution or the omnibus or whatever with all House Democrats, and it sails through. So I think there's very minimal downside. The press conferences would be amazing. And again, for for the folks who don't like Donald Trump, the only 100% proven way of separating a Republican elected official from their base is to make them Speaker of the House. It works every single time. They will become the rhino in in 10 seconds flat. Now, for the pro-Trump contingent who really like the man, again, you get to see him in the press conferences, he will literally be sitting behind Joe Biden at the next State of the Union address. Oh, my God. The meme potentials, insane. Yeah. Insane, right? If you thought Pelosi tearing up the paper. Yeah. No. Uh, but also, frankly, I mean, Trump's policies, right? Let's be real. At his heart, he's kind of an old school New York Democrat. Like that is what the milieu he grew up in. You yeah. know, I mean. He's uh, a very mean version of John Lindsay is essentially what he is. I mean, he's an asshole John not Lindsay. Not quite as handsome. Not quite as handsome, oh. of course. But yeah, I mean, when he was younger, he wasn't a bad looking. Oh, but that is, true. I mean, that's, and, and, and to your point, Peter, is that as an old school Democrat, this is the thing that uh, when that bothers me when I see Matt Gates on television, mm-hmm. and this looks like a you know the long con basically. I mean, mm-hmm. you know him after that fifteenth vote in January that he he laid the trap. Then the trap was laid, and he was looking for his opportunity. He got the opportunity in this CR, and you know there was a he could have voted previously for something that was much more conservative, and then, of course didn't to set him up to vote. Um, you know, for, to, to make common cause with Democrats, which is the most amazingly horrible thing to, you can do until you make common cause with Democrats to oust the speaker. But when you're when you're doing that, I don't see a lot of ideology in Matt Gates beyond the ideology of Matt Gates's. I mean, he, look, he might have it, and you might have interacted with him in this way. He doesn't seem to put it out like you know. A lot of people, like, like somebody like Chip Roy. I mean, Chip Roy mm-hmm. loves talking about how the fact that he's a conservative and that he cares about limited government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also I mean, Matt, challenged Matt Gates to a fight yesterday, he ch- calling Matt him Gates a motherfucker. Fight. Yeah, and he was like, come to my office and I will like knock you out. And by the way, I've been into Chip Roy's office. I think he probably would knock him yep. out. He's like a, t- my, he's a tough guy. He looks like a tough guy. Um, I don't know how good big Matt Gates is. I haven't met him. But uh, the thing that is is interesting about this is that you have a guy like Matt Gates, and who is he plumping for? Who is he stumping for? Who is his Republican hero? It's Donald Trump. Uh, is Donald Trump a guy that one would associate with limited government, with somebody who says, in, in you know what, a month ago, you know these other candidates they want to they want to you know tame Social Security spending? What is wrong with them? The man who, when the the the, the first uh, Trump health care bill came back to him, said it's too mean. Too mean. 
I mean, this is a guy who is your limited government hero. Come the fuck on. So I don't know what the guy believes. I think he, the word he was going for was government there, but I'm not sure what would have followed. Yeah. <laughs> But what he, what the thing that I, I don't know what he I don't know what he believes, and no. and you know like guys like Chip Roy etc. and like some certain other people in the Freedom Caucus mm-hmm. I don't understand and I'm sure somebody can explain this to me either Matt or Peter why Nancy Mace went along with this, um, which is kind of baffling to me in in some way. But you know, do you does he strike you as a guy who has? principles beyond um i know how to get famous which is the, the literally the criticism that everyone on the right uh who are kind of mccarthy uh sympathizers are are leveling against him that he's somebody who just wants to be famous well i mean so are they right so are the rest of them he of course just matt gates is just oftentimes better at it than they are yeah. uh, but when it comes down to principles i mean i look at when people cast votes or take positions that are not convenient to them Right, that are that are outside of the ideological slipstream. Um, Matt Gates criticized Trump, and it didn't get that widely covered. But he criticized Trump for the strike in Syria. I think back in 2018, arguing that he shouldn't have done that. He also defended Elon Omar when the House Republican Conference was looking at stripping, in retaliation for Marjorie okay. Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, stripping the committee assignments from Eric Swalwell, Adam Schiff, and Elon Omar. And he said, "Okay, you know." Schiff, Swalwell, Select Committee on Intelligence, and and I agree with every point he made. Like that is a separate, separate issue. Elon Omar on foreign affairs, like she hasn't, she didn't betray or 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 suggest that there was secret documents that they couldn't reveal, but that really backed up, you know, the um the Steele dossier, right? Like she didn't abuse the position in that sense. It was just a lot of folks don't like the position she's taking. And Trump went on, or sorry, Gates went on Newsmax and defended that. Right. He, he could have just voted that way and kept his mouth shut. Like he affirmatively made that case in ways that were very unpopular. I mean, the one time he, you say the one time he attacked Trump was the one time that Trump wasn't being Trump on foreign policy, the one time he wasn't being a Buchananite. And I mean, this is essentially what Matt Gates is. And to defend Ilhan Omar is not a popular uh, opinion. But like I just sent Matt a text right before we started, which was an image of Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> Yes, with yes. code pink yeah. today on the steps of the Capitol with code, with Medea Benjamin from Code Pink. It's like, I mean, this party has gone in, into a different uh, place. I don't even know what wow. to say. I'm trying to be I mean, nice. There's horseshoe theory, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, there's yeah. horseshoe theory. Yeah, horseshoe theory. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, she's like boy. at CrossFit with Nicholas Maduro. It's very, very confusing at this. Should point. I read the, her tweet endorsing Trump, uh, agreeing with Peter Meyer uh, that mm-hmm. Trump should be the Speaker of the House? Let's see. Um, he will end the war in Ukraine. You know, as Speaker <laughs> yeah, of yeah, the just, House. Sure, of course. Uh, he will secure the border again, a common thing that Speakers of the House do. He will end the politically weaponized government. This is a, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, uh, I mean, but, he, but, but will he execute Mark Milley? And is that, is that, is that, I, yeah, I think government? so. Uh, he will make America energy independent again. Gosh, a lot of uh, power in the legislative branch. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. He will pass my bill to stop transgender surgeries on kids and keep men out of women's sports. Mm -hmm. Uh, He will support our military and police. And so much more. uh, uh, All right. He'll make America great again. So the uh, best is yet to come, gentlemen. Do you agree with with, uh, MJG's uh, analysis there? I mean, well, on the first point on Ukraine, and this is what I think is so brilliant about Trump. And you saw it in 2016. You saw it in um, 
you're seeing it right now in the primary, is he'll stake out a position, right? He will he will vocally, vocally, you know, uh, pound his fist and defend that position. Others will go towards it, abandoning the positions that they had that maybe many liked him where they were and not getting the folks who like that Trump is staking it out because they will never go far enough or if they kind of get close to it, it'll seem insincere. And then Trump will just move from that position. <laughs> you know, he will abandon it and, and go to a completely opposite one and everyone's left spitting their heads. And the Club for Growth put out a memo uh, late last week that basically said, listen, we um, did focus groups with Trump voters. You know, we showed them, you know, Donald Trump talking about, you know, take the guns first, you know, due process second, or criticizing uh, heartbeat bills and attacking, you know, Ron DeSantis for being too harsh on abortion, you know, his terrible policies, right? Like, it doesn't move them. No. Like, they, they're not swayed, which frankly, and again, to the point of him as speaker, could be fucking brilliant. <laughs> because he, he it all will, comes back to this doesn't it peter no Your no no grand the, brilliant I, I i i will i will pound this drum no because <laughs> if you think about it he could give top cover to moderates for policies that are actually kind of moderate but the way he talks about those policies make them seem extreme mm -hmm. when you know, then he he minimizes the threat of the primary risk and all of the folks who just go in lockstep and want to avoid his wrath because they're insecure in their own positions and want to get reelected will go along with an ostensibly moderate position. But because Trump adopts it, the Democrats will attack it as extreme and boom, you know, you have DACA passed into law. You have, I mean, name, name whatever sticking point, like in a weird way. Trump could kind of be like anti-venom, right? Like not stuff you take if you haven't already been bit because it's probably going to completely mess up your immune system, you know, but if you're already suffering from a poison, it just might be the dose. And on Ukraine, I mean, that was the most funny interview I think he's ever given. And I, I forget who it was with, um, but I, mean, I think it was about a month ago. He's saying, you know, I'm going to cut off all aid to Zelensky. If he doesn't take the deal, it'll be the best deal ever, blah, 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 blah. And then <laughs> he follows it up with, and if Putin refuses to take it, I'll double the support we're giving to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I, I, it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. It's the Ramaswamy. Uh, the double, Ramaswamy double snatch. Snap, I think, it's, <laughs> I think <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> uh, I mean, how do you react to that? Right? Like, how do you – so – I don't know. I think there's uh, I think there's some possibility here, and I'm glad we're flushing it out. <laughs> I'm hearing a little bit of a cope, Peter Meyer, um, in that, and it's not about you personally, although it could totally be about you personally. But I wonder. I've been wondering about this uh, lately. Whether we're all in who uh, like you know deal a little bit in the political world, um, just on Plan Z when it comes to how to react to a world in which Donald Trump has um, uh, both a, uh, uh, you know, observably kind of low ceiling of support. I think, I, I think I saw Nate Silver was describing that today. I don't think he's ever going to get 50% of the country to want to vote for him for anything. Um, but also like a super high floor, like there's just, and it, nothing seems to change that. And he can kind of literally do or say anything famously. Uh, so you just start like inventing stuff to make you at least laugh a little bit. 
Um, but I wonder, <laughs> I wonder like, uh, is that, is that some kind of white flag or like, is there, is there something that we should think about that's actually not Trump focused on this? Like I, I, I say that sounding almost like, a I have the dreaded Trump derangement syndrome, which I probably have had since birth, but, um, but it's more like it's about, it's about voters. I mean, the reason why, uh, you know, some large percentage of the people, you know, in Congress, I am guessing, um, will, you know, grit their teeth and say they support whatever new change of mind that he has is because Republican voters like that and they will not be in office. <laughs> they will not have a job. You are pretty good proof that it's, I mean, what? who is left? Who is left among Republicans that like loudly tangled with Trump uh, on the national level? There's kind of, the number is kind of zero. Um, so are we all kind of- Thomas Massey. Massey. Massey's just weird though. Yeah, he's just weird. Who also no. didn't, I thought he was going to be, you know, the ninth there too. And he didn't uh, support- His- Actually he, made a floor speech, which was uh, very pro-McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. His, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think he, he believes the pro-McCarthy too much, but I think he also enjoys the leverage that they got over uh, McCarthy, certainly. Um, and he gave a really good interview to Reasons Eric Bame just before uh, the vote. Um, and just, you know, said like, think one step ahead. What's next? Can it possibly be better than this from our point of view? And his argument is no, um, no perhaps it, it can be. be. I don't know. Maybe it will be. I don't know. I, I, I don't know that it won't be. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> any possible way that it could be better on sort of those fronts, which I mean, to your point on, on the cope, right? When I, and I, I am not saying this in jest, like Donald Trump is already the most influential person in the Republican Party, right? Whoever is the speaker is going to do everything they can to stay on his right side. If he's already essentially that influential voice, but he is not, you know, to the pro-Trump side, reaping the benefits, to the anti-Trump side, suffering the consequences of the decisions made, just cut out the middlemen. Cut them out entirely. Because right now you you still have and and anybody who was surprised by what happened yesterday still thinks that Trump is a passing phenomenon when he is a reaction to just the disingenuous, deceitful politics, again, creating impossible, unrealizable expectations among your supporters of what you can do, never delivering on it, right? Continually disappointing them because you promised them things that you could not promise that were outside of your capacity. And so did Donald Trump too, you know, which is not oh, a, sure. a small thing. Yeah. Sure. But, but as Dave Chappelle said, you know, he's an honest liar, mm. right? Like, like he does, he does, he's not filled with the, I'm not saying he's not pompous, but he's not filled with the kind of self-righteousness or, you know, I'm a Boy Scout, but also a craven political operative, and I'm going to hope you only see the one and don't, you know, catch on to the latter, right? There, there, there is a, there's not that sort of duplicity. It's just kind of like what you see is what you get. Like there's no filter. There's not really any subterfuge. Like you want to know what he's thinking, he will tell you. Right. And that is the problem is you keep having these folks who think that they can, you know, with some neat trick, skip beyond that when all they're really doing is emphasizing the contrast that gave rise to him in the first place. And I had a guy, I was talking to a local county GOP the other day. A guy comes up to me afterwards. The only person I trust in Congress is Matt Gates. Only person I trust. Which is the ironic thing when you have a lot of the kind of farther right folks 
going after Gates, they may be right on a lot of the merits, right? But they are venting frustrations because of dynamics that they have not bothered to share or communicate with their constituents, right? So it just all seems like inside politics because they've been, you know, going hammer and tongs against the Democrats and fighting every day and blah, 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 blah. And now they are seemingly angrier at one of their own than they ever were against the Democrats on policy. And I think that can lead to a sort of confusion among those voters of like, wait, what what the hell is going on? But on promises, though, I mean, Matt Gates is saying here are things that should have been done that these people are not doing that if anybody thinks about it for four seconds realizes cannot be done because of Donald Trump. And that is because, you know, in uh, 2022, you had opportunities to, you know, stack both the Senate and the House and you fucked them up because you ran idiots. And because you ran idiots, all of this stuff is just going to run into, you know, opposition in the Senate. You have a, you know, a president who doesn't know where or who he is, who beat Donald Trump because Donald Trump is Donald Trump. I mean, at the end of the day, Matt Gates is like, you know, they're not doing all these things. It's like, yeah, but how can they? I mean, their compromise is what you have to do. It's not saying like this is some beautiful uh, ideal and we should all compromise. It's like, no, you, you, you literally have to because you don't control both houses of Congress, which you should. I mean, you have an opportunity. I mean, you look at this poll that I think I sent you, Matt. It's amazing. The Gallup poll, absolutely amazing Gallup poll on, on Republicans and the economy. The gap that has, has grown here, th- th- this shouldn't be close at this point. I mean, how is no. this fucking close? On a first-term president, if you on have numbers like that. president, yeah. I that, mean, it's, that president, it's, that incumbent loses. It's time. truly astonishing. And the question I ask, I ask you, Peter, and I and I, I don't know the answer to this. I mean, it's, it's speculation. But, you know, we've had these moments in conservative politics in the past. You can go back to sort of the America Firsters, uh, Robert Taft, you know, Pitchfork Pat in 92. Um, then, of course, Trump. And But, you know, when I was covering the Tea Party and when I'm at, you know, a Trump rally last week, the different the, the energy is the same, but the ideas are different in the sense mm-hmm. that everyone is saying then you know socialism, socialism, socialism. Uh, this is two thousand eight nine. Um, you know they're going to take over the car companies, and it's going to be like Lada, and it's going to be communism, etc. All of that stuff has disappeared. I mean, people say that they don't like somebody because they're a socialist, and then in the next breath they say, "Thank God that um, the UAW is demanding a forty percent pay rise over four years." And it's like I don't, I can't keep track of this. But the thing is, as you point out, is this is very much a reaction to a personality. It's very much a reaction to Donald Trump. He can 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 sort of modulate on these on these ideas and policies, switch them here, switch them there. No one seems to care. Can that be done with someone else? Matt Gates can do his impression. I mean, Matt Gates. the problem with Matt Gates, by the way, is he looks like a bad guy in an 80s movie. Like, yeah. he's like the bad guy from the fraternity. Um, it, it just like, he kind of feels a bit sleazy and smarmy. Is there somebody of all of these bad Donald Trump impressions that can actually sustain that? Because I think when I see Trump live, and I'm, you know, standing a few feet mm-hmm. from him, and I've done this many times over the years. And every time I'm with a different cameraman, different producer, different this. And they always come out saying, and they've usually not seen him before, saying, man, that guy is fucking amazing. Like, I mean, he's a psycho, but he's amazing. There is only one. He is so good at it to watch him live that you, you like, I shouldn't be in the press pen laughing. And I see, you know, the <laughs> NPR people looking at me going, you're not supposed to laugh at that. And I'm just like, that was a fucking funny bit. I got to be honest. But the, you cannot do the impression of that. 
in mm-hmm. any way. There's, there's once in every 200 years, you're going to get a guy like him who's going to run and then be president. What becomes of it afterwards? Does it slide back to a more Paul Ryan party? Or is it, are we just going to be populist forever and with people who are just less convincing than Donald Trump? No, I, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with what is, where is he able to gain that support and what is really catching fire? You know, if he was saying a bunch of things that didn't resonate and didn't feel like they were tapping into a frustration that was deeper, there would be no phenomenon, yeah. right? Like it, it would just, it would dissipate of its own volition. And frankly, his continued sustained presence is both, you know, partly a testament to that charisma and that, you know, uh, uncanny marketing ability that he has, but also similar to Matt Gates. Okay, well, what are you putting up against that? Who's the person articulating in a compelling and an engaging way the counterpoint? And nobody. If <laughs> Absolutely nobody. <laughs> no, you know, so, I mean, I, I don't, to your point, I'm like, uh, who, who else could do that? I mean, I don't know, find somebody who's been sort of a professional bullshitter and, you know, incredibly good salesman and also has near universal name ID and has, you know, he is shorthand for kind of cash money and rap stars, like, and rap, you know, songs, you know, going back two decades, right? Like that's, that is impressive brand building that, you know, we got to get the next TikTok generation. You got to like plant those seeds early if we're going to cultivate that. But frankly, like if you had a political system that wasn't so ripe to be pilloried, wasn't so, you know, had its head so far up its ass that they couldn't recognize their vulnerabilities that, you know, to your point, like if you had a bunch of members of Congress, you know, the, the Chip Roy's and the um, Thomas Massey's of the world, I think, have done exceptionally well because they've taken a very hard path that is not easy to do. It's and, correct. It, yes. and, yeah, yeah, and conveyed yeah. that to their constituents. Justin Amash sort of did similar. Like that builds a sense of trust and loyalty that it is hard, hard, hard it, to do it, because yeah. you're competing in a media ecosystem. Like, my God, how do you break through? Trump breaks through by saying crazy stuff, yeah. right? But he's breaking through. It, it, no, it's it, it, the hardest case to make um, in politics is a sort of generally libertarian economic case, which mm-hmm. is complicated. It, I mean, if a, a socialist case is very easy to make, right? No. Why should these guys be making $50 billion? Why should Jeff Bezos have all that money? And why can't we just give some of that and tax them more and then everybody will be fine? No. A very easy case to make. Yeah. The incoherence of it requires <laughs> a, a long explanation and people aren't patient for that. And mm-hmm. I think the one thing that people pointed out at the time during the Tea Party, and I always thought this was apocryphal until I saw something very similar, a sign that you know was like government hands off my Medicare. We should have then seen where this was going. That sign was the road sign to the future. That people saying government hands off my Medicare is like, okay, you've been consuming conservatism in a particular way. The media ecosystem, which I think has changed absolutely everything. Um, I mean, absolutely everything. I couldn't find a person in Detroit at the Trump rally that would say a kind word about Fox News. Not a person. 
Really? They're like, it, no, not one. They're yeah. like, I, they're, they're traitors, they're sellouts. Because there's some people on there that will be critical, you know, whether it's Neil Cavuto or whoever it is. But they're like, that's, you need to be all in. This is an existential battle. And, you know, they go to uh, um, Newsmax if they're, you know, centrist amongst Trump people. <laughs> and then the little hardcore ones go to OAN and other things. And then a bunch of shit you've never heard of, which is like some guy was telling me, that, oh, here's all the telegram groups you have to subscribe to. Oh, and boy. this is actually the truth. None of that stuff is going to make an argument ever about limited government ever it's just that's not but it's it's culture war stuff and it's it's sort of doom mongering that if x happens then y is over and we have to do everything we can to get in the way of x and it's a kind of a crazy thing to listen to because i mean you used to at least go to conservative things and they would you know you know maybe have a reagan pin or kind of faint towards reagan not really get it but that was kind of the idol that is just absolutely totally gone and it's hilarious that while trump was in Detroit, the other people were, uh, you know, the other candidates were at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley talking about how non Reagan they were. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, saying, why can't we all get along? You know, Reagan's 11th commandment, and everyone being like, yeah. are you, do yeah. you remember? Do you remember? <laughs> like, you called a sellout. But, yeah. but to your point, like that incoherence. <laughs> It, it should be surprising. People should kind of take a pause like that, that hands off my Medicare. That should have been the sign, mm-hmm. right? Was not heated. And frankly, the right became a whole lot more like the left with the doom and the apocalypse. I mean, think of the Supreme Court confirmations where you have people dressing up like, you know, uh, if, if you nominate um, – you know, uh, oh my God, the uh, beer chugging guy, Brett Kavanaugh. Thank you. You know, it's going to be Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's yeah, Tale, yeah. right? Yeah. And Kavanaugh has become a swing vote. He's the swing vote. He's the swing vote. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but, you know, setting that up. That weather was totally predictable. And I think I predicted at the time that he doesn't yeah. strike me as, as you know, the, the second coming of Samuel Alito. No, but, but this is the hilarious thing when you look at all of these dynamics is like, the the hysteria on the left has become matched by the hysteria on the right. Like they, they have risen to recognize that. And again, as somebody who likes limited government and doesn't just want to see an ever increasing government with a competitive, you know, no holds barred fight to see who can control this massive weapon and would really like to do some disarmament on that side. Because mm-hmm. I, I try to tell my colleagues and my, my friends on the right, like, if we try to be the party of mob, we will lose. Like we are outnumbered. Like if, if you if if you are China, sure, be the party of mob violence if you're against America. Like you have three times our population. We do not have the numerical advantage. We have good principles and we have policies that could work if you actually implemented them, right? I mean, real conservatism has never been tried. But like <laughs> but you have that that sense of like this is a losing game we are setting ourselves up into a trap but i think of the same paranoia i mean mentioning the handmaid's tale the same paranoia on the left where like i mean the idea that donald trump was going to come into office he's going to be a fascist authoritarian dictator you know what scenario like constitutional scholars have always feared where the power of the presidency has grown so extraordinary that if the right set of conditions were to happen, you know, you could have a permanent end to the democracy. You could have elections suspended. You could have, you know, uh, martial law, like very, very dangerous, dangerous potential. 
if there's a global pandemic. And Trump's reaction yeah. was, ah, it's the States. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, actually thinking about, um, uh, you know, real conservative uh, conservatism has never been tried and the States, this is what often gets lost in discussions of politics in America because everything is so focused on the shit show in Washington and also Trump, who's a large character. And, and just in general, we're focusing on federal government we're not paying attention to how there's actually different governance in the states that produces actually different results. Different results and in yeah. fact, you saw that particularly in the pandemic, particularly with schools, but not only mm -hmm. um, at some point, and I haven't uh, updated my spreadsheets, but I was looking at and wrote at least one uh, long reason piece about a year and a half, two years in. Um, if you looked at the top like 10 or 15 states in terms of uh, economic growth post-pandemic uh, versus, uh, you know, uh, worse job losses and everything. It was just all fully Republican states on one thing, the governor and the legislature and whatever, and, and voting in the presidential election. And in the other one, it was all Democrats. And there was nothing otherwise uh, similar about them. And this is definitely true of school policy as well. Like the partisanship is what mattered, not the level of lethality of the disease Every time. And it's a story to tell. I mean, let's not forget, and this is going to be increasingly hilarious. I think even this week there's news about uh, Chicago, whether it was the mayor or the governor, um, uh, trying to sort of like uh, fire one, a little brushback pitch against Joe mm -hmm. Biden. They chose Chicago as the site of the Democratic Convention. You yeah. really are going to show that as a model of governance. That. It's not a good model of governance. Um, by the way, after 1968, you never choose it again. <laughs> no, just like don't. It's kind of a bad memory. I but, think they know. did in like 92, right? Or some other year. It was in between that. Yeah. Just like don't, nope, don't do it. Um, but there is a good story to tell. There is a difference when you get away from uh, the nonsense of Washington with these approaches. You still have these kind of lingering uh, old school kind of values and differences of opinion. And it produces pretty different results. One that mm -hmm. makes Republicans look good. And it yeah. is this great irony of irony that um, wherever there is an exaggerated Trump influence uh, in those local places, that's when people suffer the most. I, I mean, look, the, the, what an opportunity right now if you are a Republican who cared about limited government and cared about spending. I mean, is there any better time in, in, in recent history where you can say this spending has had a like immediate effect? Yeah. Because the spending was so outrageous, but you could justify it because it was bipartisan. It was, I mean, Donald Trump was responsible for so much of this too. And saying we had to because the pandemic, we had to shut it down. Now we just have to, you know, uh, put money in, in people's pockets. I was listening to a podcast the other day. It was a very, very frustrating podcast. It was the Freakonomics podcast about this woman. Um, and they do good stuff sometimes. And Stephen Levitt was, um, was it Stephen Levitt? He's the guy that hosted, was pushing her. But the guy that did, the woman who did the, op-ed piece and written this book about how um, families are a great, are the, are the best indicator of, of um, future success, I'm like having a two-parent family. And she's like a lefty academic. And the entire time she was saying like, it's so horrible that I have to say this. It's really, really terrible. I'm really, really sorry. I don't want to sound like a conservative. It's like, you're just talking about the data, but you're so terrified of it. But at one point, she said, you know, we by, by um, you know, the, I, I, was it the earned income tax credit that, you know, mm -hmm. during, the, and she said, you know, we slashed child poverty in half in America. Yeah. And then I was like, I, I can find the headline 
where now it's exactly where it was before. Because you can slash anything in half for a very short period of time by infusing tons of money into the economy and directly into people's bank accounts. And then afterwards, people say, well, the money that you've given me was incredible. Thank you so much. But now it's not going as far. I wonder if these two things are related. Why is no one making that point? Yes, of course, there are people are. But is there any point in recent times? I understand when, you know, the 1990s, um, 2000s, you have manufacturing jobs going away. I understand that this is how we get to MAGA populism. But now we are at this point where trillions and trillions, and no one even cares. I mean, the zeros, you can get tack them on, and no one even, it's, just, it's sort of at a point where, where it, what's the difference, right? And is there not a, a case to be made that spending is what is making you poor? If we put more money in your pocket, that'd be great temporarily, but it's ultimately going to make you poorer because you know what gas costs now. You know what things at Walmart cost now. You know what things cost any at your grocery store. I mean, this, this is the easiest way to make that case, which, as I said before, is a complicated one when you're talking about the seen and the unseen, right? The unseen is very, very hard to quantify to people. So why not do this now? Well, um, to the point's been made here is that everybody wants to be no one has broken successfully from the Donald Trump mold and been even remotely successful. As Matt points out, I think this is true on the state level, but not in a big kind of media way, in a big personality way. And I fear that you, the Republicans are missing an opportunity to get back to basics on what they actually care about when it comes to the economy and not just like, we hate war now, we hate Ukraine, we hate all this. Spending. I mean, the, the, they got the Ukraine spending out of that congressional, the, the, the continuing res resolution. Mm -hmm. It, that didn't do it. No one cared. <laughs> didn't solve anything. But, you know, big victory. And then Kevin McCarthy's gone. It's a, it's a total shit show. Yeah. Well, I mean, kept the government open through the Virginia House of Delegates race. So that's, you know, a positive, Glenn Youngkin. But, but seriously, I mean, the fundamental principle here is we're talking about and the solutions we should be putting forward are to really second order solutions, right? But it's so tempting to just get into the first order reactionary yeah. mentality. And that's what a lot of the things on the left are, right? I mean, well, yeah, it, inflation is all because of corporate greed, mm -hmm. right? Or, or the initial, well, it, this is just transitory. I mean, transitory is now going on three years and they're celebrating that, oh, no, no, see, inflation is, it's back, you know, within a point or a point and a half of target. It's like, okay, but people kind of want the prices to go back to where they were, but they're not going to go back to where they were. And and this is this is what drove me up a wall with the bipartisan infrastructure bill, is that you had conservatives who were just demonizing it because oh look at all this green new this and blah 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 blah. I mean that was such a a bullshit fraction that was really a patina to to you know appeal to democratic interest groups. I, I mean the eighty percent of this bill was just a 20% plus up in a bunch of different infrastructure trust funds, you know, the, uh, the inland waterways, the, the highway trust fund, like it was not that sexy. It was not that interesting, but it increased all of those budgetary pools by 20%, did nothing to make sure the money would be spent more efficiently, did nothing to actually try to reduce costs, permitting reform, none of that. What happened? Infrastructure costs, you know, per highway mile construction costs went up by 20%. Like, no real net impact. <laughs> like, and, and that is the thing that is so astounding, but that is a harder thing to convey, yeah. right? That is that is not an immediate impulse, immediate emotional response. You know, it, it would be very nice to be on the Republican side kind of 
taking the, the the broken wireframe glasses and putting them a little bit further up the bridge of your nose and saying, well, actually, mm-hmm. you know, but you need people who are making that well, actually point, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you need I, what my goal, and obviously I failed at this, but my goal was to communicate to that, that marginal swing voter who would dis- determine the outcome of an election and try to have them say, well, I don't agree with him, but he makes some really good points. Mm-hmm. Right. And to try to bend that persuasion, but with more and more increasingly rigid polarization. And, and when I say polarization, I don't just mean Republicans are fighting with Democrats more. I mean, the, the correlation between federal and, and state or county, you know, partisan preference, you know, who would vote for a Democrat for a lower ballot, ballot or a Republican for a lower ballot versus how you would vote at the federal level. That used to be, you know, had like a p value of like 0.6. Right. So, I mean, it was almost a toss up. Like, yeah, you would, you know, a third of the people would keep it straight, but a lot of folks would kind of cross between the two. Over two decades, that went from 0.6 to 0.95. So, it went from not even loosely correlated, like, yeah, again, a third of the time people are voting straight, to now, if you're a Republican, you know, or a Democrat, and usually it's, it's closer to, 95 percent 96 percent on the Repo- on the democratic side and and um on the republican side it's a little bit lower but there's you're you're not talking to the entirety of the electorate you know you're just trying to marginally tailor to your base and who you need to turn out and because we have such better and more granular data you know the positions you need to take i mean i had colleagues who said yeah i agree with this but i'm already having to explain x y and z and I can't afford the time it will take me to raise the hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars that I need to get my point across to defend this vote. You gotta just give people things. Have you not realized this yet, Peter? You give <laughs> if you give people things, they don't care about the long term consequences. They don't care where they come from. You remember that that that, that uh, John Gotti used to drive into Italian neighborhoods with on uh, on Thanksgiving with turkeys. They didn't care that he killed people. Where the turkeys come from? He probably killed somebody to get the turkey. I, I got a turkey. So that's what Meyer? your next race is: is just fine shit to give people. If it is a coupon, uh, great. I don't, I don't care about your policies. You look at p values and percentages. Give people things, and they'll vote for you. But what is the future of Peter Meyer and all these great policies, what's happening? You're not going to sit in fucking Grand Rapids forever. Come on, stop. You, you can sit in Grand Rapids and listen to the fifth column all the time, which is what I know you do. You grow your ginger beard. You have babies. You're getting very trad on us. <laughs> what is, he actually looks like a trad meme. Look at him. Yeah, Look at he's, him. he's, he's all like got yeah. the trim red beard. No, he now, looks like, like he's uh, he's about to do a country song about the uh, <laughs> the the dickheads of uh, Dickville or whatever whatever was it called. What, what was that thing called? I'm sorry. Rich men. Rich, rich, rich men, yeah. yeah. Rich men of Grand Rapids. Yeah. What is the future? What are you going to do? You, you, you love politics too much to just sit there and not get back involved. Oh, yeah. No, no, I mean, okay, so we have an open Senate seat, which, you know, I have formed an exploratory committee for. Um, and How many people are on that committee? It's not really that type of committee. It's a thing you file with the IRS. Yeah, not, you know, yeah. it means yeah. you're running. It doesn't. Yeah. You're not exploring anything. Yeah. No, no, no. It, it it means I've planted enough stake in the ground that the NRSC can reach out and be like, uh, "Hey, uh, we've we've got our preferred candidate," and that not is you. not you. Oh no, no, no. Like, oh my god, the dynamics. Is this members only? Yes, it is. Is it? Well, is it? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to put what him behind the paywall. 
Uh, uh, so am I not that much of a draw? Uh, No, no, I'm saying that you are such a draw that we want everyone to hear you, Peter. It just depends on the quality of the answer, I guess. We'll decide after this answer. (laughs) I'm not going to say anything that will uh, speed up a timeline to file an FEC Form 1 or 2. Um, Because there are certain things that you cannot say if you were considering running for office, you know, that I will not say. Um, But um, the dynamic you're talking about, the the Republican people. No, no. But but this is the thing right now is the amount – and I I do not fathom why folks don't fucking see this. Like if you try to be the artificial, phony, staged politician, right – which, frankly, a lot of – well, it is hard not to be that. It's, it's very easy to take the playbook. <laughs> no, it's very easy to take the He's playbook running. and say <laughs> – that was, that I'm was, just saying there's some be honest fun like, opportunities. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Like, but, but if you win with the playbook, well, it's because you use the playbook. If you lose with the playbook, well, you know what? The, the odds were stacked against you. Um, if you lose without the playbook, well, you didn't follow the playbook. And if you win with the playbook, you're, you're a fucking savant. Right. And, and everyone will worship you. But the I think there is a hunger and an opportunity to really just cut the bullshit. Right. To, to, to level with folks. And I have a distinct advantage because I'm not coming in trying to kiss folks' asses. Right. Like I come in and I see all the people in the crowd, you know, whose arms are crossed and they're looking at me, you know, with a uh, I mean, a stink eye is probably too generous. Um, I kind of got nothing to lose with that audience. Right. Like you have a lot of folks who run for office who are terrified of getting pigeonholed and in oh well are you the are you the 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 rhino establishment or are you the MAGA America first or like that that is kind of the band, but it's also losing that there's another axis on that, which is are you just go along to get along, which by the way, a lot of the folks who recite MAGA talking points are go along to get along in the exact same way that I saw Democratic colleagues adopting all of this kind of Green New Deal environmental bullshit. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're saying, but you were fed this line. Mm. And this is this is the the current orthodoxy, right? But it comes across as phony and insincere. I mean, I, mean, the, I always assumed that if like definitionally – Rhino uh, describes a lot of uh, MAGA people who don't have any sense of what it has been historically to be a Republican or to be a Republican even now. I mean, because it's it's all over the place and there doesn't seem to be any hard kind of core to it. And it's just kind of flabby and soft. But you can also make the argument, Peter, that you were primaried because of this. And guess what happened? <laughs> Didn't oh, work yeah. out so well, did it? I mean, it's a pretty good it, argument, got to say. The, the Well, the... You know, it was very well documented. The Democrats dropping a half million in the last yep. two weeks, you know, to to boost my candidate, which again, like when it comes to the sanctimony around Donald Trump, like obviously you have the boosting of the the kind of weaker MAGA candidates in these competitive races. But the f- Joe Biden's only reelection chance, and it is not guaranteed, his strongest chance at reelection is hoping and praying that Donald Trump is his opponent. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that may have been true that he needed that to win two years ago or even a year ago. Today, like what possible circumstance, what possible event would redound in Joe Biden's favor? He died. That's the only one. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I, I, it's and, a Democrat's and, favor. I mean, that's, they, that's the only one. Yeah. <laughs> which, by the way, the odds of that happening are the odds. 
not like, zero. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Uh, let me get out my pocket actuarial table, and I think it pretty it's pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was low double digits. Yeah, yeah. I was watching. Uh, I went on uh, the Megyn Kelly program uh, the other day, and they were showing clips from 2019 and from 2021, and they were doing this in the service of you know Joe Biden calling various minority people boy. Um, and that was awkward. Um, and then like, uh, having conversations with Al Sharpton about it, where he was sort of upbraiding him. Uh, but just showing the clips and watching them, Joe Biden, 2019 versus Joe Biden, 2022, oh, yeah. totally different. Yeah. your jaw will drop. It, yeah. It's yeah. like, and especially yeah. if you know, have older parents or whatever, it's like, oh boy, it's, yeah. it's, it's actually happening. It's yeah. happening. Yeah. Well, and so within that type of dynamic, like, I don't know. I kind of think there's a hunger. Yeah. Well, um, that's that, that's our answer. And that is, you could have just said I'm running and that would have been fine, but um, you did really have to just and, draw and it I out. got to file that, a bunch of things. It's a paperwork yeah, issue? Yeah. You don't have a secretary or something? You don't have an it, intern that can do that for you? Just it, file the fucking paperwork. Get it, it over It's de- decently complicated. No, I mean, well, in a head, so I lost, um, I got 48.5% in a head-to-head, got more votes than I got the first time, ironically enough. Uh, it, it turns out you can get more votes than you did before and lose. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but before the Dems intervened there, Mark Elias, the kind of scumbag Democratic lawyer who yeah. – um, actually, House Republicans owe a lot of their victories because he was involved in some of the redistricting plans that were so egregious, like we talked about in New York, yeah. that they were struck down. Uh, he His firm challenged – the signatures of a third candidate who got on the ballot, you know, she needed a thousand turned in 1200. They struck 250 of them. She was 50 signatures short, right? Like multi-way races are a little bit different than head to heads. I'll put it that way. Um, before we let you go, uh, Peter, I want to play something for you that I, that I sent to Matt this morning. And it's oh not a real God. natural place to put this, but um, this morning I was, um, trying to kind of consume all of the media about what is happening in uh, D.C. at the moment. I left the city. Um, I came out to East Egg because uh, I just I couldn't take it. Uh, there was a, a horrible murder uh, that is being not widely reported, but reported quite uh, a bit. Yeah, uh, that was yeah. two blocks from my house. Um, all the reporting that it says it was it in is. Crown Heights. It was not. It was in Bed-Stuy. Um, and uh, so I was like, maybe I'll just take a break. So this morning I tried to do something that I hadn't done in a long time, which was listen to The Daily the New York Times mm. Daily podcast, which mm. <laughs> did its um, own recapitulation of what happened on Capitol Hill. <clears throat> now, I found this quite interesting. So I, um, about 20 minutes, and uh, this is uh, the reporter, who's a reporter, he's not an opinion person, and I just thought this was really interesting, the framing of this, and I'm going to play it for you guys, and I know Matt, you've heard this, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it, but you might notice something um, that happens quite a bit in this. This, is an, this, this is an edit, right? So this is an edit. This is a, this, well, I edited uh, 20 minutes down to a minute and 17 seconds, which oh. shows you how much is in it. So there's a minute. If you can be patient for a minute, this is what you're going to hear. He had to make a number of promises to the hard right that for a while he's doing exactly what the hard right wants. The hard right feels that he did not stand up enough. That caused a deep wedge between Kevin McCarthy and these hard right Republicans. Knowing he's already on very thin ice with those hard right Republicans, which is what someone the hard right want. But in doing so, the hard right feels that he did not stand up for some of those hard right Republicans. 
He's now broken their trust a second time. Yeah. The hard right is furious after McCarthy takes this step. And he essentially says, bring it on to the hard right. And one of the ringleaders of the hard right Republicans. So then the only question becomes, will these hard right Republicans? Well, the hard right does have an answer to that, which is he tried to please the hard right and then he would try to please the Democrats. Both Democrats and those hard right members betrayed the trust of these far right Republicans in the House. That... The far right had such a hold over him, he wouldn't defy them again. Trying to govern those guys, those guys on the far right, is simply impossible. He's basically daring members of this group on the far right. There you go. That was this morning. That was one one segment. And I just thought that was so amazing, considering we've had a conversation tonight about what it even means to be a conservative and to be a Republican. And um, I, so I did a little search into the New York Times. They do use hard left, but it's usually about Europe. It's usually yeah. about Jean-Luc Mélenchon in France. And it's usually about people who are like literally members of the Communist Party. Um, people like AOC, Ilhan Omar and stuff. They d- rarely get that tag. Um, and I think it came up maybe 25 times or something in that episode this morning. And it was so, it was so frequent that I was like, how, this is crazy. That this is this constant drumbeat of the far right, the far right, the extreme hard, right, the hard right, hard, hard right. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, did you see the Diane Feinstein um, obituary? You know, centrist Democrat yeah. Diane Feinstein, right? Yeah. I, when when um, uh, Lula defeated Bolsonaro, the AP's you know little uh, tweet was, you know, uh, former President Lula defeats. Far right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> candidate Jar Bolsonaro. It's like yeah. he, he is essentially a Le- like he's a Leninist, yeah, who was in prison, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, he he is like with Maduro, yeah. Like this is yeah. not imprisoned you know, Marxist <laughs> defeats. I, uh, yeah, that's a which yeah. is the type of thing that if you're on the right, I mean, if or if you just care about accuracy. You call out that bullshit and you're just like, come on, like I I have to apply a discount to everything you say because from the jump, it is patently clear how you were trying to frame this. And just to put a finer spent on my, uh, or a finer point on my, uh, on my defeat at like three or 4 a.m. the morning after I lost, you know, and this is like two hours after I've called my um, primary opponent and, and conceded and, and um, and kind of wished him luck. <laughs> the, inco- the the sort of the unchallenged, she didn't have a primary uncontested Democratic nominee, had sent out an email, but she had actually sent out the draft that was intended to be if I had won. And it was, you know, extreme MAGA Republican, Peter oh. Meyer wins. Like, this is my, like, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, really? that's, oh, Actually, might you voted to impeach? I mean, that doesn't that get you something? No, 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 no. I mean, Mike Lawler, who has been one of the most, he's a he he defeated, and I claim he won the race. I think I'm very grateful that every time his opponent, Sean Patrick Maloney, the D Triple C, you know, chief, every time he was on cable news, he was asked about the hypocrisy behind the D Triple C funding my primary opponent. But um, Mike Lawler, who defeated him, you know, he's in like a Biden plus 12 district, super moderate, has been going hammer and tongs against Gates. Every single communication about him, extreme MAGA, extreme MAGA, extreme MAGA, right? And, And there is a subset that believes that. 
that'll believe all of that oh, for sure. because they have been so primed to view every Republican as evil that, you know, it doesn't matter. And, and frankly, what that does is that conditions a lot of Republicans to say, why the fuck should I bother even trying to, to find common cause, find a middle ground, find some area to negotiate with my Democratic colleagues when it doesn't matter if I am Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or if I am, you know, Mike Lawler or Don Bacon, they're going to paint me with the same brush. So I might as well not piss off the people who are already inclined to like me on my side of the aisle because on the other side of the aisle, they will brook no quarter. There will be no forgiveness. There will be mm. absolutely no mercy there. And I, I th you saw this, like, I mean, the Problem Solvers Caucus is probably no more because if there was ever a moment where a group of folks were supposed to meet in the middle and try to diffuse institutional tensions and find a better path for the, the House of Representatives, it is something where it literally takes single digits to sway an outcome. And if 10 of those Problem Solvers Caucus Democrats would have just voted present. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they solved a problem in a way <laughs> they, they came to oh. a solution, um, you know, and I, in, in a way I can't blame them. I mean, what, I mean, just to, to watch the chaos on the Republican side is worth the price of admission. If you're, if you're a Democrat and, you know, to the, to the New York times daily thing, it's, I just don't understand why, if you're not trying to make some point or trying to, you know, um, tell your readers that you are one of the good guys, why not just say conservative Republican? Uh, conservative Republican works. And I don't know what Matt Gates was, was, I mean, I thought it was a crazy weird and ultimately will be a suicide mission, I think. But I, there was, there something that was quote unquote hard right about it. I mean, there's certain, I mean, I don't think I would, I, I would blink. Um, it's just the frequency by the way, which I have to keep on r repeating it like this, this kind of mantra. Mm -hmm. But if there was a certain dentist in Arizona that you were attaching that to, I'd say, okay, fine, fair enough. But, uh, but, uh, you know, where was Steve, he on that vote? Yeah. Or Steve King. Oh yeah. We, where did he didn't, but, he was not part of the eight, right? Biggs? No. Yeah. Yeah. Gozar. 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 Right, right. Biggs was. Biggs was. Biggs was. Gozar yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Gozar, I think I, was like, I think he had conference. oral surgery uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to perform I, on Nick Fuentes. <laughs> I, I, there are certain people where I've talked to them personally, and I am 99% sure that everything that comes out that kind of builds that brand is entirely the product of a, a staffer controlling the social media account or drafting the speech. And in Gosar's case, far more than most. Uh, really? So you think that he doesn't actually believe a lot of that stuff? That's not really his oh, instinct? or I, I have no idea what he believes. I remember when um, it was, I think, Nick Fuentes was going to be doing a fundraiser for him or something like that. Yeah. And it, this was right around the time of some censure vote or maybe the committee stripping. And I went up to him on the floor and I, I kind of had the thing. I was like, is this true? And he just kind of looked at it and like – I. It wasn't clear that it registered mm -hmm. that like there was – I mean he kind of has that – I don't know if he – I don't want to – if he has Parkinson's or like oh, what. Like I mean it, it wasn't clear. And I don't mean that like a demeaning way. It yeah. was just like I'm I'm not exactly sure that like physically and or mentally like you can probably read – I don't know. Like it, it was weird. It was very, very weird. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
the way that you're answering this question means you're running for Senate. Congratulations Absolutely. on that, yep. Peter. Uh, yep. I, I don't think I'm getting Paul Gosar's uh, endorsement. I don't, I, I don't think I, so. means a lot. I don't think so. But if you have some questions about the Holocaust, you might maybe, you might get his endorsement. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, <laughs> um, that was me talking, not uh, Michigan's next senator. Uh, Peter Meyer. Um, Peter, we've kept you long enough. Um, thank you so much for joining us as always. Um, I've said it before. I've said it when you're not here too, uh, that we, when we lost you in Congress, we lost uh, one of the uh, smartest members of Congress. And I know it's a low bar, but I mean that in a very flattering <laughs> way. Because, uh, yeah, I've never met anyone in Congress who was smart, but I've met you and you're, you're clever. So thank I, you. I know... I, I know which is the way to open the door and which is the fire alarm. And, and that, that <laughs> distinction right now is, uh, that was four days ago. Yeah. Do you know where, where Jamal Bowman, he, where days. he grew up, all the, all the, the door handles were red with, and they said fire on them. That was just a different, it was a different time. So I, I had like a, a tweet thread where I was like, you know, yeah, let me like walk through these dynamics. You're apologizing for, I called him dumb or stupid nine times. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, gentlemen, it is always a pleasure. Thank, thank you, you, Peter. And thank, we thank wish you, Peter. luck when you, when you run for Senate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we um, just discovered that <laughs> Peter Myers ran for Senate. Which he's he is very very bright and very very bad at keeping secrets because he tried to say that he wasn't, but I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it at all, and I'm not sure that he made it more possible. For him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure that the fifth column angle has been working for him. I want to no. I want to encourage it. So I by all means, it. all politicians. Uh, come on the fifth column to run announce and announce your candidacy <laughs> and announce that you're going to get primaried <laughs> yeah, by yeah. people. Uh, Peter's great. He's got a great relationship with Paul Gosar. It was uh, good, yeah. good to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, moving, we, let's move on um, from the madness in DC because it's literally every time I turn the radio on podcasts, et cetera, it's just wall to wall and everyone kind of says the same thing, but there's other stuff going on in the world. And one thing that you pointed out, which, um, and I, I had to watch the video cause I hadn't watched the video and it doubles a couple things, overlaps and things that we, we both enjoy is uh, major league baseball and, um, bullshit accusations against people. And this is about uh, Trevor Bauer, um, who stopped playing. So let's, why don't you explain what happened to Trevor Bauer right, and so why for a little bit he wasn't, was he playing, pitching for the Indians or was he in L He pitched for the Indians. I believe he won the Cy Young or was a, a finalist or a, a high finish for the Cy Young Award for Cleveland, which is, you know, the, the best award you can win as a pitcher. Then he came to the Dodgers. Dodgers uh, is when uh, this happened, yeah. Uh, signed a big free agent contract and it's a very, very good pitcher. He's now, I think, 32 years old, maybe 33, um, you know, near the prime of his career. Back in around 2020 or 2021, um, he was accused of uh, choking, uh, a woman, raping a woman and choking her in such a way to, I think, fracture her skull um, yeah. was one of the accusations uh, there's a second accusation from another woman in uh, in Arizona as well. And um, this was not a story that I followed closely until literally this week. Yeah. Why? Because um, so Trevor Bauer, who has this smarmy, punchable face, he's this kind of uh, guy who he looks smart and kind of sour and like he's sort of judging you. They're just like, 
He's he's got a, he's got a kind of a broish look to him. Yeah, he's got a broish look too. Um, and um, all of the reporting that came across the transom that I would see, whether it's on Twitter or looking at baseball sites, that would mention him. And this and all the comments from journalists, from people who work in the industry, were like, "You have no idea. This is so bad. The Dodgers absolutely need to get rid of him. Um, it's mm-hmm. this is you know just scratching the surface." of what's going on. I didn't follow it much closer than that beyond noting that he got suspended. I believe it's the longest or among the longest suspensions in the history of the game uh, outside of outright bans. So it's an accusation of sexual assault, possibly rape. Um, He was suspended for 324 games by major league baseball. That's two full seasons of a guy's career in his prime. What happens to his contract in that? Is he getting paid? Uh, I don't think that he gets paid. No, I think, I think it, it, uh, it uh, voids the contract. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that it voids the contract. Uh, you're suspended without pay. Um, and then, uh, so he was suspended for, uh, for 324 games. He appealed it. It went down to 194 or something. And then the Dodgers under, uh, a, you know, widespread industry media pressure, um, after he was done serving his suspension, just cut him loose and said, oh, we, we don't want to deal with him. Um, and I remember a lot of people from the LA Times where I used to work, not in the sports section, although I've written for it, um, were like, you know, the Dodgers absolutely need to cut him loose and to show that they are not uh, yet another you know, horrible sports organization kind of putting sexual assault of their male athletes uh, sweeping it under the rug. Um, and I... Again, didn't pay attention to it. He was kind of a jerk. Um, seemed kind of plausible, maybe a bit too long. I didn't really notice such little inconvenient facts as he was never charged for anything yeah. by a criminal court. Um, yeah. he but was, there's usually a response to that that people say, um, women say they don't, they're afraid to go to the police or something, but they weren't, af- she wasn't afraid to go to the media. Not afraid to go to the, the, I mean, went to the the media and the police. The police looked into, I believe, both of the cases under question. The, the main one under question um, just came up this week because he settled um, uh, and he did not settle by giving money. What happened was, is that the police looked into it and said, we're not going to charge him with anything. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then he sued the accuser who then countersued him. And so they were suing each other for two years and they just finally agreed to settle. And as part of that agreement, no money changes hands and he has full license or uh, latitude to say whatever he wants to about the case. So he recorded video and very convincingly in this short very you know, three or four yeah, or five yeah. minute video, which I commend people yeah. to watch, um, lays out like, Hey, I haven't been able to talk about this. It has really affected my life. Um, and this woman, uh, tried to, this woman, Miss Lewinsky, no, uh, he reproduces some of the discovery that he was able to get in the trial and says that this is why I did it. This is the only way to clear my name is I can get some access to this. And he got text messages that she was sending as soon as she like came in, um, uh, basically saying, Hey, look, his net worth is $51 million. Get your hooks in there, you know, make an accusation, go for it kind of thing. Um, and uh, she said, I mean, cause the, the, one of the accusations and it was the one that I remembered at the beginning was the choking, the extremely rough sex, um, that, that she didn't want. And he basically beat her up and the rest of it. And before she's done anything with it, she texts her friend who's who texts her. It's like, how are you going to do it? How are you going to get the money? Yeah, and she says rough sex. I'm, this is this is where we're going to do it. So she goes in there with the 
the um, idea of of extorting him. I mean, she's an extortionist. Yeah. And again, it's his presentation of the evidence, but like it's convincing evidence. Um, it's very, I mean, it, there's, there can be nothing to suggest that that isn't true, particularly because he plays a video that she took and apparently tried to hide during and tried to not give over during the discovery process, uh, which is a video that she took of herself while he was sleeping. Um, the, the, the day, morning, the morning after, after the alleged incidents, she did not look like someone who was unhappy. She had no marks on her. She on had her no face. marks on her. Um, he was sleeping yeah. in a little, little mask. Uh, and she was like thumbs upping and like, yeah, she a, was like sticking her tongue out, like thumbs up, like, like I got it. Cause the, the, her friend says, how are you going to get the bag? The bag being the money. And I presume that who do you send that video to, uh, to the person you've been communicating with, because there's no, she's not, she doesn't say anything. She shows him, then shows herself with a smile and like sticks her tongue out. Like, Got it. And then um, what happens is she tries to extort him. I mean, I, I, if there's ca- counter evidence, I mean, there was evidence that came out previously that made it sound like something was, something was off. And, but this is the thing that I think he should sue the Dodgers. He should sue Major League Baseball. He should, if he didn't get paid, he should get his back pay. He has um, also sued the Athletic which is now owned by the New York Times. And this is pretty interesting. And there's another reason to bring it up is I think my suspicion is that the journalistic conduct around this case has been atrocious. As and it it'll be really, really interesting to see how um, institutions respond now. Basically, I've only seen right-wing media cover this and like yeah. follow up on it. Fox News. The Federalist followed up with some of the, the uh, uh, media criticism, it's a conservative outlet, um, but he sued the Athletic enough so that when they settled out of court, the Athletic corrected some of the information that it had out, um, uh, including that he fractured her skull. Um, the tweets written by Molly Knight, who wrote a, many, many tweets and uh, presumably some articles about it as and well. And wrote a book about the LA Dodgers, yeah. Or a book about the Dodgers. I think she's either taking it down her Twitter account or taking down the the offending tweets. But she had said repeatedly, based on evidence that showed apparently the opposite, that uh, that there was a skull fracture and a crack and all these other things, and those have all been taken down. So that's part of that settlement. I don't, I'm not sure that he's done countersuing. Um, and this is what someone had to do. Um, just to keep his name semi or like to begin clawing back his name. Um, and I want to confess uh, that I'm part of the problem. I didn't write about or talk about or deal with this, this case in any way, shape or form until right now. Um, and I haven't done any kind of deep dive, but I had the lazy assumption that it was because he was smug and smirking. And also because journalists who I tended to trust, you know, who write about baseball were kind of given the like, oh boy, no, it's bad. Like making the same kind of noises that you heard around Harvey Weinstein, you know, back in the day. But, but it's the, somewhat the different. The, the journalistic incentives on this are for you to say something is off. I mean, you're, you know, signaling a kind of tribal loyalty. If you're somebody that says, well, even something as kind of basic as saying, let's just see where the evidence leads us. Um, even that is going to get you in trouble or people are going to be like, oh, look at the sort of, you know, denier, which is always the word that is used. The same thing happened uh, about the UVA case when, I mean, there's an amazing thing to look at the tweets when people started questioning 
the UVA rape story um, that Sabrina Erdley wrote, and she's disappeared as a journalist. Um, it turned out to, the whole thing turned out to be fake. And when people questioned that, there are people that you and I, I think, know, and I, one person I know, saying like, look at, like, keep, I can't remember, one was like, you know, remember this. And it was like, no, no, your yeah. tweet was the one that has to be remembered. Like, no, they, remember they this. To, to portray Robbie Suave, who did some of the earliest and best um, skepticism and eventually contributed to the debunking of that story, I think Gawker or somebody in the Gawker empire was like, you know, you know, bookmark this. Yeah, Robbie yeah. Suave, rape apologist. Yeah. And it's like, nope, that's not how that and worked. do they ever apologize? No, of course they don't. But they, the thing that- They don't, is, but I, I, I would like to, which is just to say that I kind of presume maybe it was probably true and that I didn't look into it enough to note that no one had filed any charges, which, or no one, that the police had looked into it and, and had concluded there was nothing to charge, which should have said to me- that plus uh, the, the exaggerated two-year suspension for Major League Baseball um, should have said that that was something worth looking into enough to have mentioned it before today. So sorry to yeah, Trevor Bauer. Yeah, a couple more things about this is that is that if people don't know anything about sports or anything about baseball in particular, taking two years off as a pitcher when you're kind of in the prime of your career, I mean, you start getting to your mid-30s, you're, you're, you're losing a lot of gas, you're not going to be a, a, a pitcher that's long for this world. I mean, people don't pitch into their 40s unless you're somebody like Tim Wakefield, rest in peace, Tim, uh, who yeah. died, unfortunately, of brain cancer um, last week. But uh, that that's, that that's, I mean, you can, you should sue for, you know, losses and potential things that you could have had and gained while you were in the prime of pitching as somebody who won the Cy Young Award. That is an, an amazing, the, the punishment that he's received, he cannot get back. It's like somebody who goes to jail uh, on on a wrongful conviction. They can't get those years back. They usually get money when they get out and they should, right? The thing that's crazy about this is there should be some punishment for if you're going to immediately punish someone for an accusation that you don't know if it's true, you have not adjudicated the evidence, you've not laid it out and said, okay, well, you know, on balance here, I think we don't want to associate with this guy. They just immediately, immediately, you know, this is post me to immediately go and, and, and get rid of him and ultimately cut him. What is the, what is the punishment for journalists? And the, th the reason I think there should be a punishment for journalists, by, by which I mean they should either be, you know, have a black mark against their name if anyone's Googling them, because if you Google this guy, the only thing that comes up is rape. I don't think if you Google the journalist who wrote about it at The Athletic, um, that's the first thing that comes up. I don't think that's probably what happens. And, you know, uh, like I, if I were The Athletic and I had to pay out lots of money to somebody who's making things up or saying things they couldn't verify, I would fire them. Because why is there no consequences for people who spread this nonsense? And there are enormous con consequences for the person who was accused of something they didn't do. I mean, it's just outrageous. The thing that's always attached to this, and there used to be a number, and I can't remember, they cited something. It's an impossible number to know, but they thought, they said, well, uh, there's an academic way of determining this, is that, you know, 0.01% or 1% of rape claims are false claims. Um that always struck me as, as a ludicrous thing to say for a number of reasons. But there have been a number of uh, people that have been falsely accused, and particularly when the stakes are a lot higher post-Me Too. I imagine if you're looking at numbers from 1980, that's probably very different. The culture is very different. Now, this woman is saying, I'm going to make an enormous amount of money by making this accusation. She knows post-2017 how to extract money from somebody who she says is worth $51 million. She's Googled it. Um, this has happened to other people too, because the thing is, is, you know, believe women, et cetera. No, I, I say, 
you know, investigate and, you know, listen to is, a, is what you should do, not believe, listen to, and then believe if it's true. But if you, if, if, they, you know, evidence seems like, well, something weird happened here. Okay. But listen to, that's fine. Because the thing that people forget is that uh, women are humans. And humans lie, and humans rob, and humans steal, and humans have all sorts of cockamamie plans to rip off a store, a landlord, a whoever. And this is the the incentives because of this political climate. The, the, the It's so odd that a political climate has created sort of bad economic incentives for people to make charges. And they might not even be economic, by the way. It might be somebody that you really... I mean, relationships go bad. People... I mean, I've had maybe one relationship in my life where I've wanted to see something crappy happen to the person, but you know, not terrible, but like, just like, I hope the person they, you know, are dating now turns out to be a jerk or something, you know, something mild, but you just, you have like, Oh, fuck you for what you did to me. And, and so then you have, um, say, you know, a media class that says, believe everything that you hear. That was actually a headline in the Washington post. Something about, you know, must believe women. They, they ultimately changed it. I, I screenshotted it a long time ago. But that is a bad way for journalists. I mean, journalism is about skepticism, right? Isn't it? I mean, so if we can apply skepticism to, you know, elected officials, senators, congressmen, presidents, um, other pundits, et cetera. And, and the, but then we suspend that for people who make a charge that if we publicly agree with that or publicly say, I support this person, you get accolades for it. I mean, it, it's incredible because when you you should you should be attacked, by the way, for publicly supporting someone when you have no evidence and you don't understand the evidence because you want to be on the side of the victim, but they might not be a victim. I would estimate, and again, I haven't looked at it, but I would estimate just based on stuff that came over the transom that I would notice that there were at least 10 pieces in the LA Times um, that were like the Dodgers absolutely need to get rid of Trevor Bauer. Yeah. All of those. Because someone made an accusation. Uh, yeah. Maybe it was just one, but I re- I'm guessing it's going to be 10. I feel decently confident about that. Um, uh, I wish all- people would go back and then write and say, I was wrong. Yeah. Say it. You're wrong. We're all wrong. All A lot of the time. You know, someone in the comments of our wonderful um, uh, Substack page, which in case this is a free episode, which it probably will be. Um, uh, you should sign up for, uh, uh, people who pay for subscriptions can comment, but someone was like, Hey, I remember when, uh, Matt said something that uh, Elizabeth Warren might win the nomination last time around and which I don't remember at all. And then also that, uh, uh, Samantha Power is a likely future Secretary of State, which I totally did uh, believe, yeah. and I'm certainly uh, saying yeah, not she, a crazy she, thing to believe at all. Not a crazy thing to believe. She still might end up uh, being uh, one day. She still has a job in the administration, but uh, that you should be like called out on stuff. We should be constantly, and you should forthrightly apologize if you got something wrong or maligned. If I said that there are ten, if I even guessed that there are ten articles in the LA Times, and it turns out that there was only two, I will. I will prostrate myself. However, um, no, go back and look at your finger wags. Um, uh, And if you were wrong and it contributed even in a small way to someone losing their livelihood, Trevor Bauer pitched in Japan last year. Um, uh, Japan's a great place from what I hear. I've never been there. I'm sure they pay fairly well uh, for major league talent. He still seems to be uh, highly competitive and he'll probably come back to the major leagues at some point. Um, maybe, uh, this next year we'll see about that. Um, but, uh, that's terrible. That's a terrible outcome based on not the legal system playing out, 
but on people um, thinking that it seemed plausible based on their perceptions of him and the tenor of the complaints, but also probably wanting to get in front of and seeming like they were virtuous by saying he's obviously a bad guy. Just look at him and look at the look at this. Um, they were, mm-hmm. were wrong. Maybe he's a bad guy, but there's no evidence right now. Zero. There's the opposite of evidence um, that he committed any kind of sexual assault against anybody. Um, and he lost livelihood because of it and because of the journalistic pylon. The um, amazing thing, I just want to read the, you know, if, if, if any of you haven't read about this, um, as I hadn't, um, I eat a little bit uh, previously, but the fallout I hadn't uh, read much about. And I just want to read something that, um, that uh, will give you some sense of how much of a setup this is. This is a texting with a friend. Um, she was also texting, by the way, um, w- with uh, Jacob Nix, the former uh, Padres pitcher. I think he's in the minor leagues now. But um, this is this is her plan. Uh, need Daddy. This is um, what she's calling him. Uh, what, what she's calling Trevor Bauer. Need Daddy to choke me out, being an absolute whore to try to get in on his fifty-one million. I mean, if there's ever been more of a smoking gun, I don't, I don't know that if I've ever seen one. Doesn't <laughs> seem vague. That is a a a a barrel that is spewing out smoke. I uh, unbelievable. I don't recall ever texting that to a friend. I don't think that you would. <laughs> I mean, even if you were like, that's what you're going to do. I mean, this is how dumb this this person is to actually, you know, make the phone call maybe and don't put this in text. But so, uh, but anyway, wa- yeah. Watch in the coming days uh, to see. Who says what about this? It'll be very uh, illuminative, I predict. Um, uh, hopefully, there'll be a lot of people saying, hey, I was wrong. Um, I, I jumped to conclusions. I said them publicly. And as a journalist, especially, that is not something that I should have done. Um, I'm guessing that the number of people who will do that can be counted on one hand uh, and largely one digit. Um, but yeah. uh, I, I would love to be surprised by that. Yeah. Um, and apparently, her lawyers... Um were aware that she was withholding evidence. According to Trevor Bauer, um, she withheld some of these, these videos, that video of her lying in bed that I mentioned, um, that, um, they were aware that her, that, and, and didn't actually release. And I don't know how that actually got released, but, but anyway, um, elsewhere in the world of people being horrible, um, a couple of murders that I think we talked about in text chain. I mean, we don't, I'm not tweeting very much about this stuff. One I mentioned earlier that was, a couple of blocks from me, actually, like legitimately a couple of blocks from me in bed, Bed-Stuy of a young um, activist who was killed at four in the morning, um, stabbed to death uh, multiple times, stabbed multiple times in the chest in front of his girlfriend and died. And that came a few days after a Philadelphia activist and uh, I guess kind of a writer and journalist who was uh, murdered in his house, shot seven times um, both of these people had tweeted, and the guy who was killed in Brooklyn was with his girlfriend. His girlfriend had also been tweeting stuff about, uh, you know, the, the crime increase is a myth. And uh, she had an ACAB shirt on, the all cops are bastards, and defund the police and everything. And then there's been, as you rightly uh, said, Matt, I don't want to steal your word because it's the right one, a very ghoulish response to this on on the internet. Um uh, of people uh, sort of gloating, which I find um, gloating really while showing the video. Uh, Mike Chernovich, who's a right wing Cretan, uh, I think he was a pizza gator for a while there, um, but he's just been a culture warring right winger. 
um, did a real kind of gleeful, like, ha, 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 while posting the video of a like guy getting murdered. stabbed to death. Yeah, a murder video. Yeah. A murder video. Yeah. And I've seen this yeah. murder video now on Twitter where I've, I've, you know, I've seen at least a snapshot of it and while I you know, quickly close it down. Way, yeah, way, I'm not going to, yeah. way too many times. Um, it's just awful. I, I can't imagine the humanity of any of that. If you are in any position where you're like making a, a sardonic point about uh, your fellow uh, citizen, your fellow American, your fellow whatever human getting fucking murdered. Um, like take at least a, do it in private. I mean, take, and say, well, look, I, this guy take you know. a year off. Actually, that's true. Do it in private. Um, I mean, preferably don't be a ghoulish fucking person. But this is why we have private spheres. This is why we have a text chain that none of you people are ever going to see. <laughs> and as bad as we are on that text chain, um, as criminal as it might always be, um, we, you know in your heart that we're not bad and we're not cheering on people's deaths. Um, you you yeah. work out your black humor in private. You don't uh, do that kind of shit at all in public. Um, and no. and every I mean, you saw this in, in different kind of uh, – uh, ways maybe not as explicit as like playing a fucking snuff video, you absolute fucking yeah. ghoul, Mike Chernovich, and other people who piled on. Uh, but you saw this during COVID a lot too, um, where someone would die, um, and depending on what side who of, wasn't vaccinated or had said that they that they were not going to get vaccinated, yeah, or it's someone like who just died for unexplained causes. Oh, uh, you know that's that you probably just got vaccinated. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that is so rotten. Um, like just step. No, but it away. actually is a very good comparison for those people, and it was mostly um, people that were, um, shall we call them, COVID hawks. Um, I, I wouldn't say that they're on the left. Um, I mean, I think most of them probably were, but um, hawkish people on COVID would say, you know, find a guy who I interviewed a guy for a little piece that I did. Um, I was drinking at a bar in, uh, Bay Ridge and it was like a, a, a piece, a silly piece about, about like Trump country within the five boroughs. And, uh, it, it was oh, a, the guy, vice, that, uh, vice piece. It was fantastic. Yeah. 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 Did that, did the, that get aired or was that part of your yeah, show? Yeah. That got, that got okay, aired, yeah. And then there was some like well-known comedian from out there who like wanted to challenge me to a fight or something. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know why it was like, a, it was a gentle piece, but the guy who owned the bar that I was in, it was a really fun bar. Um, he's, I think son or something was like a real lefty activist and he was like a real Fox news guy. And I interviewed him, talked to him. He was a nice enough guy. And then I saw that his son had written something later about his father dying, this guy that I interviewed and he died of COVID and he was, um, like a vaccine skeptic or something. And obviously the son didn't write something gloating, but there was a million people like, aha, you know, I don't cry for these people when they don't get the vaccine and they die. Um, you know, you can say the same thing when somebody says, get the police off the streets. There's no, um, the guy in Philadelphia in particular said, the rise in crime is a so-called rise in crime and it's the figment of the right-wing imagination. And then he's, murdered in his house at one thirty in the morning it, completely senselessly it wasn't it doesn't seem like he put up a fight or anything he was being robbed and the guy he was shot seven times um it's incredibly excessive i mean i mean excessive to shoot anyone at all but like good lord coming in and just shooting some guy i guess he was in his bed or something but yeah to gloat about that i just i find cr crazy but on the um 
Brooklyn one, there's one bit of report uh, in the reports of this, which I find odd. Everyone said, you know, this guy is the mentally ill or the mentally deranged person that killed him. We don't know who killed him. He hasn't been arrested. There's been a screenshot of the guy that the, the NYPD shared, and we don't know his name. No one's tracked him down. He hasn't been arrested, et cetera. That is not necessarily true. Um, and if you live in the neighborhood that I spend half my time in, and you mistakenly brush up against somebody on the subway, I, I've, I, people have come at me for like, just like, and I say, oh, sorry, like a step on their foot or something. And there is a kind of culture, a toxic, like angry culture that exists in the city that people will, will go crazy on you for the smallest things. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the guy's crazy. They're just assuming that he's crazy. Um, and I think that people should hold off on that because we don't know who it is. Yeah. And it might be just some asshole who was like out looking for trouble. He might have been high, he might have been drunk, might have been not any of those things and just like, you know, fuck this guy, he's in my neighborhood and I'm going to kill him. I don't know. Who knows what happened? So, Yeah, the we've mentioned before uh, here on the difference between just four years ago of the way people wait for subways. Uh, they used to wait um, by the edge of the platform and now they don't. Yep. Um, no, and that no. is not necessarily just because of crazy people. That's because of whatever, for whatever reason, there's more violence, more people being pushed on the tracks. And everyone knows if you, it. I saw a video the other day of, um, she's a video of this guy in Chicago uh, walking in this like surveillance video. He's just walking in like an alley or like in a side street. And some guy just is like walks up behind him and just, just, just starts wailing on him, just knocks him out. It's like there are two people. And I didn't think they robbed him. It was just kind of a, you know, why not? Um, feel like fucking with this guy. And that c- could have been that situation too. Um, and uh, yeah, it's not, it's not a figment of anyone's imagination, obviously. And the, the accusations from, you know, a guy like this, maybe he said that, I don't know, this, that horrible Andy No guy who is going through their garbage to find tweets from his girlfriend to say, you oh, know, God. That, that, that's what he was posting, pictures of her in an ACAB t-shirt and, I you know, mean, it's just like, can you just hang on a second? I mean, what I don't understand when you live in that world and you descend into that world where ent- your entire life is spent behind a, a screen provoking people on Twitter, your interactions with people on Twitter, you don't actually get out of the house very much. Um, it just makes you a, a kind of bad person in a way. This honestly is making me want to do one of two things uh, in the near future. One is either... Um, Tell the uh, Orthodox guys walking around. Are they the Orthodox Lubavitchers, right? The Jewish yeah, yeah, guys, yeah, but they're walking around these days with a, the palm frond and asking if people are Jewish. Jewish, yeah. Um, to to say yes, like my priest does, um, <laughs> to <laughs> engage in a, in a very pleasant conversation, or to uh, go to church, which I haven't done in a, in a couple months because you know summer rules, uh, as we all are aware of here in the Fifthum uh, universe. But uh, no, it's you know the in the best case of being in a kind of uh, just a little weekly religious pep talk universe, uh, it encourages people to be nice. Um, yeah. if, if you are not in any place for whatever reason, under whatever pretext, it's not about belief necessarily at all, um, and you're not getting uh, feedback to like, don't be a dick, um, yeah. then uh, seek it out, find it, because that's just an awful place to be. Um, yeah. you're advertising your lack of humanity, um, and you shouldn't, it's corroding your soul. You don't have to, you're, you'll, you'll die unhappy. Don't do it.
That is true. So we can end on uh, an admonition to um, die happy. And die happy. Not be, not be a ghoulish monster. Can I can I prompt you to to spill thirty nice words on a person who we don't know if he died happy, but he died. Um, who was known to your family, Russ Francis, the great tight end oh, of the yes. of the New yes. England uh, Patriots back in the day, who I was a fan of. Uh, I loved I loved the seventies Patriots just because Steve Grogan uh, had a weird yeah. Adam's apple, looked like That's, Ann Coulter. He was the best. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, those, but, those pre-Tony Eason years, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Russ Francis was for many years like one of the greatest tight ends in NFL history, Absolutely. and uh, and your dad worked for the Patriots, and uh, yeah. Russ Francis was known. Yeah, to no, his. and and my dad was um, pals with um, I think his kind of best pal on the Pats was uh, Steve Nelson. Um, who he was, uh, he a he linebacker. Was yeah. And he, uh, yeah. Uh, he, he was, uh, graced the cover of uh, sports illustrate and uh, very rare for uh, somebody in his position. But yes, uh, Steve Nelson, uh, uh, Rich Camarillo, who's the punter, the punter. who was, who was, was pretty uh, good. a nice, a nice guy. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah, that's, it, it, it's, I, you've informed me of this. I didn't, I wasn't aware that Russ uh, Francis had died. I, my mother, I texted her and she was like, she was like, like heartbroken. She was like, oh my God, he sent me the nicest note back in, when dad was working for the Pats. And, um, you know, cause they were very friendly and, you know, like I remember him as a kid and my brother told me when I sent him the link to the news story that, uh, he has some photos somewhere of, of Russ Francis and I in the locker room when I was like four or five. Oh my God. And, he just uh, has a Burt Reynolds mustache. He has the Burt Reynolds mustache. Yeah. Yeah. But I, there is one, I'm pretty sure this is true. Jeff is going to find it. My brother's going to find it for me. But he, um, uh, there is a picture of me in the back of my dad's truck hanging on to Russ Francis who has a um, shirt that is like buttoned like he's the football version of Bernard Henri Levy. It's like one, <laughs> one button at the bottom, and I'm gripping his chest hair. Oh. Like I'm like, because I'm like three or four, and I'm just grabbing him, grabbing his chest hair, and um, and so Russ Francis, uh, I guess we buried the lead here, died um, in upstate New York uh, in a plane crash. Um, he was himself apparently a pilot, and there were a couple of planes that went up, and I think they were taking photographs. It was some something, and um, they turned back because they had some failure and um and the plane crashed and he died he was 70 years old and one of the patriots greats and very always very um kind to my family so uh rest in peace uh russ francis Enough there said. we go there we should are. we just end on that because let's do it let's be be really depressing it was like die happy and then russ francis <laughs> okay <laughs> i yeah, i'm thinking he died happy He's like, yeah, well, smoking I mean, a Carlton and like going I'm out. Sure, and, oh. yeah. yeah, he had a very <laughs> long career. Top, yeah, yeah. up on a plane, smoking a Carlton, made that NFL money go far. So, um, all right, uh, we will be back uh, very soon for another second Sunday for uh, for all of you subscribers is coming up. Uh, we might even get Camille out of retirement to uh, come join us for uh, the. Um, Sunday uh, Zoom, whatever we use. Zoom spectacular. Zoomcast. So come on out. You have to be. You have to uh, pay up and subscribe in order to join it. But then you do, and then we take questions, and it gets really awkward, and it's fun. Yeah, and everybody's weird. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but we love you all. Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column.